in the mid and late 1930s, when the Nazis came to power in Germany, among a lot of their atrocities, they set out to create their own Bible. And they did that. They created their own Bible. And in this Bible, in quotes, they removed the entire Old Testament, just did away with all of it took out the entire Old Testament. They revised the New Testament by making a new Jew-free genealogy for Jesus. And they changed or totally removed other references to the Old Testament. And the references they left, they twisted to um, make critical of the Jewish people when that was, of course, never part of, of those references to begin with. So they mutilated the Bible to serve their own purposes. Anything that elevated the Jews or the Jewish people, they did away with. And they sought to make it how they wanted it to be. And apparently, that was very similar to what was already being said and assumed about Jesus at the early point in his ministry that we are looking at. The Sermon on the Mount came earlier in his ministry, and he was already being labeled and categorized, and it was already being assumed that he was setting out to destroy the law, do away with the Mosaic law, that he had no regard for it, and that was the opinion that was being circulated, especially by the religious leaders and the experts of the law that assumed and accused Jesus of not honoring the law and wanting to do away with it. We know for sure from later accounts that the religious leaders of the day had their own interpretations of the law. And whenever Jesus didn't follow their interpretations, sure enough, they accused him of breaking the whole law. So that's a big reason for why he said what we're going to consider today in this next part of the Sermon on the Mount. But it's also connected to what we will look at in a couple of weeks, which will be the shocking statements that Jesus made starting in verse 21. So as we pick up in verse 17 of Matthew 5, we're going to see that most likely he was addressing those accusations and those assumptions, but he was also making it clear where he stood as it relates to God's law. And that, again, will be connected to what we read later on. So, with that being said, I invite you to turn in your Bibles or bring it up on your device. Matthew 5, 17 and 18 is what we're going to look at today. Matthew 5, 17 and 18. And this is part one of a two-part message that's just focusing on this little section. In Matthew 5, 17 through 20, which makes up the next part of the Sermon on the Mount, there is so much said In just those four verses, it would be impossible for me to cover them all adequately or fully in the time that we have today. So, part one of fulfilled, not destroyed. Part one, Matthew 5, 17 and 18. Verse 17, God's Word, Jesus speaking. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, That, by the way, is a reference to the entire Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets. That makes up the whole Old Testament. Do not think that I have come to abolish the Law or the Prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
very, very important statement and a very, very important distinction, not just to clear that up for his audience, for his followers, not just to silence those accusations and assumptions, but it framed the entire purpose of why Jesus came. He came to fulfill all of the law's requirements, which nobody else under the law could do, and he also came to fulfill all that the prophets pointed to throughout the centuries. He was the answer for the need, and he was the answer of the question, does God still care? Is God still here? Does he still have a plan and a purpose? If you were living in Israel at the time under the weight of the Roman Empire and looking at your history of all the conquest and captivity, then it would be understandable for you to maybe ask that. Does God care? Does he still hear us? Does he still listen? Does he still have a plan? Jesus' coming was a resounding yes to those questions. So he came to fulfill the law and all of its obligations, and he came to fulfill all that the prophets pointed to and all that they pictured. So it's a very important distinction here. I didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to do away with the written word of God. Rather, on the contrary, I came to honor it. I came to elevate it. I came to fulfill it, is what he was saying. This is also an important distinction for today. Because much like his day and the contemporaries around him, many, many people misunderstand Jesus and why he came, they misapply his purpose in coming, and they assume far too much. There is a very popular philosophy as it relates to Jesus and what he came to do in that he didn't come to honor the Old Testament at all, that that his coming marked an end for the relevance of the Old Testament, that it didn't need to be honored anymore, that it didn't need to be submitted to, And so we don't need to really pay attention to the Old Testament at all. Maybe you've heard that. It's a very popular perspective, but it's a very wrong perspective. Many, unfortunately, many very well-known and largely followed pastors in the church today, in our country, have, over the last several years, made this a frequent thing that, that is said from their pulpit. Let's just focus on the New Testament. We're not under the law. We're under grace. We're under the new covenant. And yes, that's all true. But that does not mean, as they say, that we should just discard the Old Testament because after all, they say, Jesus came to make everything new. He came to end the law. He came to to totally ratify the Old Covenant. And therefore... There's just no need to put all this weight still on the Old Testament. Let's focus on the new. That's what Jesus did. He came to destroy all of the power of the law. He came to release everybody from the law so you never need to focus on it or go back to it again is what a lot of the perspectives that are being produced right now are about. Yes, he came to fulfill the law. Yes, he came to introduce a new covenant. And we are under grace and not under the law. There's not a contradiction with what Paul so frequently writes about. We aren't under the law anymore. We're not obligated to the law. But does that mean that it has no relevance? Does that mean that it is not to ever be honored? 
Does that mean that we shouldn't go back still and look at the Old Testament and see how relevant it is and still make application to our lives? Well, the answer, of course, is no, it doesn't mean that. And yes, of course, the Old Testament still has relevance and still has much to be applied. But Jesus said, I haven't come to destroy that. I've come to fulfill it. And that's so important. That's very, very important for us to understand as much as it was for the people hearing that at first. Because in that is everything. The fact that Jesus fulfilled all of the law for us, fulfilled all of the prophets, fulfilled all of the Old Testament, that is incredibly important for you and me today. And we'll get back to the fact that that doesn't mean that the Old Testament has no importance. I want to focus on the fact that it's so absolutely necessary that Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets, especially as it relates to the law. Paul wrote about that that significance and how important that was in Romans chapter 3. Romans 3, 20 through 22, the Apostle Paul says this, and I'm reading this from the CSB. For no one will be justified or declared right, made righteous in his sight. That's speaking of God the Father. No one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law. Because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed. Attested or testified to, pointed to, by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. That, friends the heart of the gospel. That's the good news. That we don't have to try to be justified or make ourselves justified by keeping the law or by working under the law. And it's a good thing because no one ever could. No one could ever do that. When the Gentiles were able to be brought into the church, when there was the controversy over the Gentiles being able to partake of the gospel and to become part of the church, and there was a council about this, Peter stood up and said, wait, wait, how can we think about keeping the Gentiles under the restriction of the law when no one ever, ever could keep the law, including ourselves? That's why Jesus came. So it's a really good thing that we're not obligated to try to be justified according to the law. Because as Paul wrote here, no one has ever been justified in God's sight by the works of the law. No one could ever keep it. No one could ever do enough. And though the law and the prophets certainly pointed to a coming righteousness of God that was going to be revealed apart from the law, it pointed to it, but they never actually provided it. That was provided through Jesus and Jesus alone. And what that means for us, it's really good news. It means that Jesus fulfilled the law, all of its requirements, He freed us completely, and He freed us from a legalistic lifestyle. Because of that, because He fulfilled the law completely, that means He freed us from having to live a legalistic lifestyle. And that's super, super good news for you and me today. That means that we don't have to try to earn God's favor. 
It's not about what we do or don't do that makes us secure with God. We have complete favor from God. We have complete security in Him. We have a complete relationship with Him, not based on anything we do or don't do or we are or aren't. It's all based on who Jesus is and what He did. That's the good news. Are you thankful for that today? It's not about doing more, trying harder. It's about what Jesus did. and Realizing that's completely sufficient for all of your salvation and for all of your standing before a holy and a righteous God. That's good news. But, we need to be careful here. We need to be careful. Romans 6 Verses 1 through 2 says this. Well then, so in light of the grace of God and in light of the fact that we are free from legalism, we are free from the law, in light of that, here's the question. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? In other words, okay, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace, I've been freed from the law and the weight of it. I've been freed from an obligation to try to live this legalistic lifestyle. Oh, that means I guess I can, I can just sin, knowing that grace is going to cover me. That was something that was proposed in contradiction to Paul. That was something that, once again, the, the same crowd that always opposed Jesus started opposing Paul and his message and saying, well, then the door's just wide open for sin. And, and other people were even abusing what Paul was saying and taking it out of context and saying, oh, good, grace, yes, we love grace. That means freedom. I can do whatever I want. I can live however I want. And it wasn't limited to the first century, by the way. That's a, a very common mindset in this culture as well. But Paul answers that. Is that what that means? Of course not. Other translations say, may God forbid. No, since we have died to sin, which everyone that comes to Christ does, is supposed to do, since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? See, here, here's what this means. Jesus did fulfill the law. And we are free from a legalistic lifestyle because of that. But, here's what it really means and what it really brings about. Because Jesus fulfilled the law, we are able to live in obedience to God. You following me on that? Because Jesus freed us from the crushing weight of the law, a law we could never fulfill, we could never obey, apart from Him, in our sinful state, we were powerless to do what the law said. We were powerless to obey God. We were powerless to choose righteousness or to be righteous. But because Jesus came and was righteous on our behalf, because He fulfilled completely the righteous requirement of the law for us, He freed us to be able now to walk and live in obedience to God. That's so important to understand. Jesus didn't free us from the law so that we could be free to live however we wanted, including lawlessness, no, He freed us from the law 
and gave us the ability to actually obey, to actually walk in righteousness. Really important to understand that. Vitally important. And to show that, I want to again draw your attention to what Paul said in Romans 6 later on in that chapter. Verse 14, he said this, Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. And we take that freedom not to do with it however we want or whatever we want. We take that freedom and we use it to live for God. Well, not only did Jesus perfectly fulfill the previously unmet obligations of the law, but he was also the perfect fulfillment of the pictures and the predictions of the prophets. He supplied the substance, church. He supplied the substance for all the shadows that they saw and wrote about. Jesus, I want you to understand this, Jesus is the primary point of prophecy. He's the primary point of prophecy. There was a lot of details and things that made up prophecy and a lot of things the prophets pointed to and predicted, but the primary point, the driving force of their prophecies was to point to Jesus. It was Him. He was the primary point. And as the primary point of prophecy, Jesus is proof that God keeps His promises. He is the proof that God keeps His promises. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, Every one of God's promises is yes in Him. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that we have Jesus to look to and say, Oh, look, yes, yes, God keeps His promises. He's a promise-keeping God. He's faithful. And if He kept all the countless prophecies and promises of a coming Messiah, if He kept all those Old Testament promises and prophecies by sending Jesus, then that means I can trust Him to keep all the other promises that He's made. We can completely trust God and His Word because Jesus is proof of that. He's the fulfillment of it. Toward the end of Christ's ministry, Three of his disciples were shown a powerful picture of what Jesus was saying here in verse 17 about fulfilling the law and the prophets. Powerful picture of this. It's in Matthew 17, and this is just too good for you just to listen to. I invite you to go ahead and turn there, look at that with me. Matthew 17, verses 1 through 5. This is close to the time of him going to the cross. It's 30 or 40 days before he would go to the cross. So his earthly ministry is wrapping up. Peter had just made the astounding confession when Jesus said, hey, who are people saying that I am? Who do you hear people saying that I am? What are they saying about me? They said, well, some say that you're one of the prophets. Some say you're a great teacher. You're a holy one of God. Jesus said, okay, well, what about you guys? What do you say about me? Who do you say I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the promised Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, yes, Peter, yes. 
Blessed are you, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has. And on that truth of who I am, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And if Peter had just stopped there, oh, that would have been great. But then when Jesus went on to say, the way I'm going to start my church is by dying for it, Peter actually started to rebuke Jesus. What are you thinking? I don't think, no, you're wrong. I'm not going to let that happen. That will not happen you, Jesus. I won't allow it. So the one who had just, just said, you're the son of the living God, you're the Messiah, you're the one we've been looking for, then he went to that route, and instead of hearing, good job, well done, he heard, get behind me, Satan. And then Jesus said some more things, and then this is what took place just a little bit after that, six days after that event. Matthew 17, 1 through 5, verse 1. After six days, from what I just reviewed, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. Verse 2. He was transfigured, completely transformed in front of them, and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. And here's the connection, this next part. Here's the picture that actually really connects to what Jesus said in Matthew 5.17 about him coming to fulfill the law and the prophets. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah, law and prophets, Moses, law, Elijah, prophets. Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. What were they talking about? Most likely talking about his coming death, his sacrifice, the fact that he was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Verse 4, then Peter, oh, you've got to love Peter. <laughs> Bless his heart. Man, I identify with Peter, don't you? Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you want, he should have just stopped with good for us to be here. If you want, I will set up three shelters here. Booths, tabernacles, places of worship and honor. Three shelters here. One for you, that's right. One for Moses, uh uh-oh. And one for Elijah. Whoop, whoop, whoop. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud, that's the glory cloud, the Shekinah, covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. In other words, Peter Don't focus so much on Moses and Elijah. Don't you see the connection? Jesus, my beloved son, not them. He's the fulfillment. He's the one to look to. He's the one to worship. He's the one to listen to. He's the fulfillment of it all. Aren't you glad he is? Well, let's look back at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. And now we're going to look at verse 18. This is a continuation of the thought that Jesus expressed in a statement he made in verse 17 about fulfilling the law and the prophets. That's why he came, not to abolish, but to fulfill. In verse 18, he says, For truly, 
I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. You've probably heard the phrase, well, I'm not going to give an iota. Well, the iota was the smallest letter of the Greek alphabet. And it was the translation of the Hebrew letter that Jesus was referring to in this statement, which was the Yod. The Yod was the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet. That's what Jesus was saying here when he said not an iota. He was actually saying the Yod. And when he says not a dot, he was referring to the tittle. So you have the Yod, which is the smallest letter of the alphabet. The tittle was a tiny hook or a curve that helped distinguish similar letters. That's the tittle. It's just this little distinguishing mark that distinguishes it from other letters. Think of like the curve of our letter P or maybe the bar on the T. That's, it's that tiny. And so what Jesus is saying here, this is so significant. Jesus is saying not the smallest letter and not even the tiniest part of a letter will be allowed to pass away from the written Word of God until the heavens and earth themselves pass away, and they will, but neither of those things will happen until the perfect purpose of God will be completely fulfilled. Isn't that glorious? So intact is God's Word, so preserved will it remain, so important is it to be accomplished that not even the smallest letter or the smallest little slash of a letter will be allowed to pass until God's purpose for it all is fulfilled. Now, Jesus did fulfill the Mosaic law. He fulfilled that by his ministry and his work on the cross and his resurrection. He completely fulfilled all the legal obligations and requirements of the Mosaic law. Like I said, no contradiction between what Jesus is saying here and what Paul wrote about later, what we just read. He did satisfy completely the requirements of the Mosaic law. Okay, that's very important to understand. But it and the rest of the Old Testament still has purpose and relevance. We need to understand that. Remember I said that at the beginning, and I said we'd come back to that? That Jesus fulfilling the law and the prophets doesn't mean that it has no bearing on our lives. It doesn't mean that we don't still honor and revere it. It doesn't mean that it doesn't still have a purpose. It does. Jesus fulfilling the Mosaic law doesn't mean that we just scrap it all and just throw it away. No, He said right here that until heaven and earth pass away, not one little part of the, the written Word of God, what we would refer to as the Old Testament, will pass away until all is accomplished. The Old Testament still has purpose and relevance. I want to give you just three very brief but very important reasons why. Number one, it's still God's Word. It's still God's Word. It's the inspired 
Word of God. It is just as inspired as the New Testament. It did not cease to be inspired. It did not cease to be God's holy word when the new covenant was started. So it's still God's word and should be honored and revered as such. Secondly, the Old Testament and the law in particular points to God's holiness. It shows us how holy this God is that we are before. And it shows us how unholy we are, naturally. Which then leads to the third point of why it's still so important to consider and, and revere and honor, if not completely observe, because we're not under the law. That's why we're not sacrificing here today. We're not under that. But because of the fact that it's God's Word, it points to His holiness, and our lack of holiness it also still serves this very important purpose. It still points to Jesus. Just as it always did originally, the whole law from the moment it was given to Moses, it pointed to Jesus. When he was on the mountain and the thunder and the lightning happened and he received the law of God, it pointed to Jesus. It said, here's what a holy God requires. Here's what you can never fulfill. But there is coming one whom I will send you that will fulfill it for you. And now as we're on the other side of that, we're in the new covenant, we look back and we see how Jesus did perfectly fulfill it all, just like he said he came to do in Matthew 5.17. But that doesn't mean that it still doesn't point out the fact that we need Him constantly, every moment, because apart from Him, there's no hope. We have no hope of being right in God's sight. So, there's just some reasons why we should never, ever just disregard the Old Testament and say it has no relevance. It does, absolutely, constantly. And it will always still be used by God to accomplish His purpose. There will be a day when we don't need the instruction of God's law, when we don't need a moral compass, when we don't need to be instructed, when we don't need to be reminded of how much we still need grace and how much we are not holy in and of ourselves. There will be a day where that's not needed. And the new heavens and the new earth, we won't need instructed anymore on that. What a day that will be because we will be everything we need to be. But until that day, until the heavens and the earth as we know it are gone and the new heavens and the new earth are here, until then, all of it, all of it, Genesis 2 Revelation is used by God to accomplish His purpose. It corresponds with what God says in Isaiah 55.11 where God says, My word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. That's what Jesus is saying here. And that's what we need to remember. And that applies to the whole of Scripture. So, what does all this mean for us? How does this impact us? What bearing does it have on us today? Well, I want to suggest to you this. If Jesus... The eternal living Word of God, which is what He is, John 1, 
tells us that. If Jesus, the eternal living Word of God, valued the written Word of God that highly, and he, oh, he valued the Word, the written Word, so highly, a lot of what he said, though it sounded new, wasn't really that new. It was a lot of quoting from the Old Testament, especially Psalms, but also the law, Deuteronomy, quoted from it all the time. And he elevated it, and he put his own authority in what was said, which is what made the difference. But if Jesus, the eternal Word, valued the written Word that highly, if he was that committed to submit fully to its authority, and was that committed to seeing it fulfilled, then as his disciples today, as citizens of his kingdom, Christian, then we need to highly value the Word of God as well. We need to be completely committed to obeying it. And we need to be passionate about proclaiming it. Here's what all of this means together. Taking everything together, looking at what Jesus said at the beginning here in verse 17. I did not come to abolish the law of the prophets, but to fulfill them. Here's what that means. It's what he wanted his original listeners to understand, and it's what we need to understand too. Because unfortunately, this is also something that is frequently said about Jesus and frequently misunderstood and assumed. Jesus didn't come as a revolutionary. But he did come to revolutionize the way his people live. He didn't come as a revolutionary. I'm just going to destroy everything. I'm coming to do away with the old. Everything old is out, and it's just about the new. I don't care about the law. I don't care about those in power and authority. I'm coming to bring a whole new way of doing everything. Forget what you've heard. It's all about the new. That's not what Jesus came to be or to do. And there's so many people that try to paint Jesus in that light and say, oh, yeah, see, see, we shouldn't ever focus on anything to do with the law. We shouldn't ever worry about any Old Testament guidelines. We don't need to use that to inform our morality. We don't need to use that to to guide and direct our lives still. Jesus didn't like the Old Testament. He just did away with it. He was a revolutionary, man. He just revolutionized everything. Well, no, not exactly. He didn't come to be a revolutionary. He didn't come just to be scandalous and radical, as is popularly suggested. He did come, however, to totally revolutionize the way his people live. That's what we need to remember. And that's what we're going to continue seeing as we keep going forward in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray, I pray that your spirit would take what we read and consider what I so inadequately in myself sought to proclaim today. I pray, Holy Spirit, that despite my weakness and shortcomings, that you would illuminate this text your holy word, illuminate it in the hearts and the minds of every single person that was here today, 
that heard this and every person that will hear it later on the podcast. Holy Spirit, illuminating Spirit of God, shine your illuminating light on the passages we considered and in our hearts. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be the agent of application. Let this not just be something that we hear, but let this be something we apply and live in light of. Holy Spirit, we need your help. We need your power. Not only do we need your help to help us understand what your word says, but we need your help and your power to do what it says. Please do that work, I pray. And I ask it all in Jesus' name and for his name, in accordance with the will of the Father. Amen.